Glenn, your, your gizmo is pointing up, you know, and, um, <laughs> and uh, that's our cold open. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining us this week for his uh, second appearance on the show, but probably more, maybe his fifth or sixth uh, appearance in terms of me referencing him is uh, Mark Graveline. So, uh, listeners, as you recall, Mark was on the show to talk about aero testing uh, when he first came on. Um, he it was one of the original uh, folks behind uh, Notio, uh, who we spoke with to also on the show uh, probably about a, slightly more than a year ago. Um, and uh, since leaving No Show, Mark has been developing his own aerodynamic uh, sensor called the Gizmo, at least that's the working title. And um, the reason that we, we've got Mark back on the show, other than the fact that I really enjoy talking to him, of course, is that uh, last week he and I uh, got together and did uh, a parallel aero test. So uh, he brought the Gizmo, he was kind enough to come down to, uh, a, to Toronto uh, brought the gizmo, brought a uh, test subject as well, which is also handy. Uh, and we ran this gentleman, um, again, as I said, par- in parallel using Aerotune, which is my preferred platform, uh, and the gizmo. And then we compared notes. And so what we want to do today is uh, partially present what we found, what the the similarities and differences in the platforms that we used, um, as well as uh, talk again more generally about the uh, the differences in the platforms, and then uh, maybe spend a little bit of time, you know, talking about our favorite topic and where where aero testing is headed because uh, we've we've covered where aero testing is, but uh, it's always fun to speculate. So forgive the long preamble, Mark. Uh, it's it's really great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for taking the time. Oh, very welcome. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. We, I guess, we pinged several times over the summer, and uh, we wanted to get together. Um, you know, and you, you talked about in your introduction there that we had in, we had developed this thing. We we nicknamed the Gizmo, uh, but we also had de- we've developed some technology. Um, for example, that you put on the helmet or on other parts of the bicycle or on the, on um, on the body that co- do some correlation of position to to CDA. And we really want, I think, I think we kind of got your curiosity there and we wanted to get together and compare. Mm-hmm. So, um, I actually drove down with, um, uh, my business partner, the guy that develops this with me, his name's Glenn, um, who believe it or not has been developing this with me all along, but has never really been formally aero tested. So, uh, we decided to use him as the, as the test subject. And, uh, yeah. So we went out to the, uh, the cornfields of Toronto and uh <laughs> yep <laughs> pretty the many cornfields of toronto we were just outside we were up in uh, up in Caledon. shout out to uh taylor reed who uh who introduced me to this route because it was uh for and we'll talk about the importance of routes at least in, in one of our testing protocols because it's it's my go-to right now everyone who's listening from outside of canada is they're gonna think that we're a bunch of country bumpkins who <laughs> you know the biggest city in canada only has cornfields that you can visit <laughs> It's interesting because my sister yeah. lives in Toronto and I only go and she lives right middle of downtown. And I, every time I go there, I go, you know, like two minutes from the CN Tower. And uh, and I had never been in the area that, that we went to visit, but uh, it was a great place for aero testing. It was uh, it was, mm-hmm. it was quite absolutely nice. So let's jump right in. Let's uh, let's start with uh, what we were trying to let, let's. I'm going to start that sentence again. <laughs> uh, so let's jump right in, folks. Um, where we're going to start is uh, to tell you what it was that we were trying to figure out. Like, what questions did we have that we were trying to answer? And uh, I'll go first, and then uh, I'll kick it over to Mark. Um, I wanted to to have a, have some validation for Aerotune. So as uh, listeners to the podcast, you know, uh, I'm a fairly big fan of the platform. There are a lot of things that Aerotune, in my opinion, has going for it. And I've used it with, uh, you know, I believe quite some success, uh, both on myself and on some of the other folks that we've tested. Um, but whenever 
you know, you have one system that you're using to make a measurement. There's always a little bit of nagging doubt in, in the back of my head, at least, of like, is this accurate? For example, whenever I get a new power meter, I put it on my bike and I put my bike on my compu trainer and I run the numbers in parallel to see what the what the delta is between my, you know, my new power meter and my compu trainer, which I've tested against a bunch of other power meters. So I feel some confidence that the compu trainer is at least, you know, giving me a consistent result. Um, so same idea here. You know, I had uh, I had good confidence in the data that I was getting from Aerotune, but I'd never tested it against anything else. So this was for me the prime opportunity to uh, to do that. And also, I'm uh, you know I'm a technophile, and uh, and Mark is developing something that I think is really interesting and uh, different. And so I wanted to also get some firsthand experience with with his device as well. So those were those were the two big things for me. Mark? Yeah. So um, very similarly, um, and, and, if, and if for just for a second, we go back to the previous show that we recorded, we, we talked about that there was a, uh, there was a mathematical model. Remember we talked about buckets and, and, and that mathematical yep. model basically allowed <laughs> I, you. To- I'm, I've been stealing your bucket analogy, Mark, from, uh, from that, from that time. I've been talking about buckets, uh, ever since, ever since we had that recording with you. So you can have the patent on that one or the copyright, I guess. I'm a, a very loyal, loyal listener of the show. And I, every time I hear you say it, I, I kind of chuckle and I said, oh, I'm the one that, uh, <laughs> that put that um, in his mind. So we said we had this mathematical model where we bring together CRR, CDA, ground speed, airspeed. And, and if we know all of the variables but one, uh, we, we can solve for any of the variables. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we see is there's, there's two classes of products or two types of products. There's products like the Aerolab, Aerotech technology, or like Nocio, or like the stuff that we're doing that has a bunch of sensors that are going to measure all these things and then compute a CDA from them. Mm-hmm. And then you have another group of products, kind of like the Aerotunes or the uh, Aerolab and Golden Cheetah, where it's going to try to, to mathematically calculate what some of those sensors would have read. Um, because it, in, in absence of those sensors, it's going to try to, 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 to calculate what they would have been using a few assumptions that it's going to be able to make because of the protocol being used. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, um, our product um, needs to measure or will measure altitude. The Aerotune product doesn't measure altitude or what, what it'll actually do, it'll use an out and back protocol to assume some type of delta of altitude equal to zero. And it's going to be able to use that assumption to, you know, to, to solve parts of the equation to eventually get down to a CDA. Same thing, for example, the wind. Mm-hmm. It it's a little bit more involved than that. And yeah, I can, yeah, I can yeah, speak I'm, to I'm, it uh, I am, afterwards. I am simplifying. Yeah. I am simplifying it as, and, and the Golden Cheetah product, Aerolab product does the same thing. It doesn't try to calculate an altitude. It doesn't try to use an altitude. It tries to actually calculate one and then compare it to what the what the physical altitude is so um, same thing for wind so what they'll try to do is they won't measure wind but they'll try to you know because because it's an out and back they'll be able to model the wind and and by doing that modeling they'll be able to, they'll be able to get to a CDA mm-hmm. so you know the advantage of these products is they don't require as many sensors okay um, and you know, if, if a sensor for some reason is misreading or is inaccurate or poorly calibrated, it can throw calculations way off. Right. Whereas, you know, if you do something like a Delta altitude is equal to zero, there's no mistake there. You, there's, there's just no mistake. <laughs> so, um, so, so two, two different approaches to solving the problem. Um, the, the, the disadvantage of not using sensor technology is, you know, you, 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 you are, you are more restrained by the protocol or constrained by the protocols that you're using and the test sites that you're using. Yes. Um, so you typically, you know, if I look at something like Aerotunes, my understanding, and you can correct me is, you know, for example, they, they prefer something relatively flat, not doesn't have to be perfectly flat, but they're not, they don't want rolling Hills. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the golden Kita Aerolab product, for example, uh, which works in a similar way, but would, would work really well with rolling hills. So depending on, on the type of um, um, terrain that you have, one product might be more suitable than the other. Um, so what we saw the other day when we went to Toronto is, is the test site that you had chosen 
uh, was actually a really good test site. So, and I think, I think, you know, one of the, the, my understanding is one of the things AeroTunes does is it allows you to, it helps you find a test site, which, which I found really, really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, to that point real quick, there's a public directory, if you like, of test routes that AeroTune has, and it's publicly available to anyone uh, who uses the platform. So if it's, it's great in a place like Germany, you know, in the north of Germany, where there are lots of folks testing using AeroTune and lots of uh, well-validated uh, test sites. Um, in, you know, in Toronto, I think I'm the only, I'm the only person who's, uh, who's created test routes in, in and around the GTA, the greater Toronto area. Uh, and so, you know, anyone who wants to use AeroTune, wants to use one of the, the, the test routes that I've figured out works pretty well, they can, you know, use this, uh, use this directory on AeroTune. But um, yeah, a, te- uh, a good test route is very, it is very important um, in the AeroTune platform. And when we had Sebastian on talking about uh, how to do high quality aero testing, this was one of his um, top uh, characteristics or top components uh, that a high quality route to get good data from AeroTune. So this was interestingly one of the differences between between the Gizmo and AeroTune was that, uh, and I'd love for you to talk about it, was the was that the Gizmo is uh, perhaps less sensitive to the route or or you know, maybe put another way, or maybe both these things are true, um, that it also, uh, it, it needs different things from a route than, than what AeroTune would, would like to have. Yeah. So, so that's actually interesting because when, when we arrived at the test site, you know, the first thing I did is I, I drove the, the test route and it was relatively flat. And I said, oh, this, you know, this is not, I wouldn't say a disadvantage to the, to the gizmo, but it doesn't allow the gizmo to shine. The fact that there was no elevation change, <laughs> um, you know, is, is, is something that we do relatively well at. And I said, oh, we're not going to get, we're not going to get to shine here. And then, and then but I, I got out my, my little portable wind um, an, an anemometer, the, um, and, and, I, and it was, it was pretty windy out. And it was it was a pretty strong crosswind, mm-hmm. and I said, "Wow, this this is this is going to be something else." Without a wind sensor, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how AeroTune behaves here. So I said, "Oh, this is going to be good for us mm-hmm. because uh, you know we we actually measure the wind and we measure the yaw, so so that's good." And and then I said, "This it's going to be really interesting," and and sure enough, we started testing and we were getting extremely consistent results between the AeroTune product and, and the, and the gizmo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're, so what, what we saw and, you know, end of the story, but you know, the read the last page is, you know, what we saw all day long is we saw very consistent improvements uh, as we changed Glenn, that's the name of our test subject, as we changed uh, clothing and positions and we were doing all our tests, we were seeing almost identical deltas you know, we went from suit A to suit B. We saw the exact same 0.1 or sorry, 0.01 uh, improvement. Yes. So it, it, it was really, really interesting. And and sure enough, when we analyzed the gizmo data after, we saw that the daily conditions were um, exactly what you know the you know the, the the product would behave well in. Wind was very strong, but it was very consistent all day long. Uh, wind was very much, uh, we were measuring the yaw, yaw was, was quite large. I think it was plus minus 15. Um, you know, we were, and it was very consistent on the out and the back. Um, one of the things the gizmo measures is. And Glenn was riding at around, you know, mid, mid to high 30. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like taking it super easy. So this was, it was a, it was a very windy day. It was, it was a very windy but extremely consistent wind. You know, the other thing that we measure, we measure wind gusts. We we see things like this. So the wet the, the the wind was 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 well behaved. Let's put it that way. It was well behaved wind. Yeah. And that was the nice thing about having a having an open field like that is that you don't, you know, we Sebastian and I have talked about this before, like you don't have 
wind breaks are nice, but you want them consistent wind breaks and you don't want, you know, uh, let's say a wooded area and then open an open field, uh, all part of your test route, because then you get you do get gusts, even if you have otherwise steady wind. So let's talk a little bit about the the results or, or compare the results between Aerotune and, and the Gizmo. And, and you mentioned that the Delta was really consistent, which I think that's the that's that's the first thing that we want to see. Like if we if we don't get agreement in the deltas, I think there's there's definitely room for a conversation and try to figure out what it was and why it was that we didn't see the same deltas. So, yeah, uh, listeners, once once Mark and I sat down or well in our respective areas and and over over Zoom compared our notes, um, the deltas were the same. So when when Glenn changed clothing or changed position, uh, we saw the same uh, change in his CDA. What wasn't the same were the absolute values. So there was actually a, kind of a non-trivial difference between the absolute uh, CDA values uh, using Aerotune and using the Gizmo. And if I remember correctly, Mark, the Gizmo showed a 0.02 uh, lower CDA or an arrow point. So it, was, it would be two arrow points if we're speaking the, you know, the AeroTune lingo, um, where the gizmo showed a lower CDA than, than AeroTune did. And I believe we corrected for rolling resistance or sort of did and for you, you but you did have some questions about uh, drivetrain drag that may have been a little bit different. So do you want to chat a little bit about why we think there was a, an absolute delta in the results? Yeah, so so a couple of things. Um, I'm not sure we 100% lined up, for example, on the wheel size. So I don't know. I don't. I was using. Okay. Yep. I think I was using a wheel size. You were using a wheel size. So it do, it doesn't take much, you know. Uh, measure measure a couple of millimeters here there. You know, if my wheel size is greater, it's going to appear that Glenn is going faster. My CDA is going to be lower. Mm-hmm. That was definitely one of them. So we were uh, using different spe- different uh, speed sensors. Correct. Um, the other thing is we were using different rolling resistance numbers. Uh, I think I was using a slightly lower rolling resistance than you. However, I was yeah. also compensating for temperature. So we we have the ability in the product to you know when you, when you put a point zero zero four say in. Uh, in in the configuration, we will we will adjust the rolling resistance based on temperature, and it was quite cool that day. It was mm. it was at the lowest temperature. It was I think thirteen degrees, um, and it warmed up a bit. Um, and the reason we do that is is because days like that, when the first test in the morning you're doing at thirteen degrees, and this, and the last test you're doing is at twenty one degrees, that is going to make a difference on your rolling resistance, and it's going to skew your numbers. Mm. So, you know, we do have the ability in the product to turn it off. You can, you can turn off, you can turn off both compensation for vibration and for temperature. And, uh, and that way you get a more, you know, straight comparison. Now, one question related to the temperature change is, is yep. density also accounted for. Is that something that you're, you're trying to, trying to factor in? And does Aerotune do the same thing? So, okay, so that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, so you're, you're talking about the, the overcoming uh, resistance of the air in which air density is, is an extremely important component uh, and in which temperature plays a role in setting air density, okay? One of the advantages we have in the gizmo is, is we measure air pressure. We don't measure air speed. Um, and, and air density is factored into, um, into air pressure. So, so for us, change in density does not make a difference. Aerotunes, on the other hand, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, um, uses air density from a local weather station in order to calculate a CDA. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, that's the case. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that. That's a good question. That'd be a good question for Sebastian. Um, how how uh, how they track air density or air pressure over the duration of the test. But uh, as far as I know, that's the case. And for the the benefit of the listeners, I guess when you say there's uh, a pressure measurement that's going on, you're referring to the static pressure or the stagnation pressure rather that you're you're measuring of the the air. So it's that half rho v squared. To, so half times the density times the velocity squared that you're measuring directly so that's what factors into the and and you've got the the direct velocity measurements as well i guess or maybe no maybe not because the velocity you've got the ground velocity but you're inferring the air velocity from that 
Well, actually, in the calculation of the CDA, we don't even have to figure out what air velocity is. You know, if you look in that big equation, you know, the 0.5 times air density times airspeed squared happens to be um, uh, air pressure. Yes, the stagnation pressure measured at the pitot tube. So we are completely, um, um, not, we're not impacted by changes in air density. Those are included in the, in the air pressure measurement. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if your air density is being measured at a weather station, the air density where the rider is and the air density where the weather station is might be slightly different. So I, I'm not saying that, hmm. that that's a big factor, but that definitely is a factor. Um, and, and one is definitely more accurate than the other. So potentially changes in uh, going back to my, my question about why we saw an absolute uh, difference in values between uh, aerotune numbers and gizmo numbers. Uh, one potential is uh uh, the coefficient of rolling resistance, and this goes back to your your buckets analogy, Mark. Like it's so important to get all of these buckets right, and some more than others. Uh, that if you have you know fairly minor changes in one or or errors, let's say in one, then you you know you get you get errors in 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 your end result, right? So this is something that I've been. You know, I've been trying to communicate to to folks for for this whole time that we've been talking about aero testing is that you need very you need quite tight controls over all of these buckets in order to get um, meaningful, accurate data. Yes, but it comes back. It also comes back to the the conversation about depending on what your protocol looks like, you you are you can be more or less impacted by some of these things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, rolling resistance because. Because your protocol is is making you do the bulk of your tests at the same speed, okay, if your rolling resistance is off, it'll be off by, you know, the the impact of it being off will be consistent from test to test to test. So, you know, whether, you know, so so when it totally agree. So so your absolute numbers will be slightly off, but your relative numbers from test to test to test will be fine. And and that's and you know, th- that was probably a, a pretty big difference between what we were seeing between your numbers and, and, and my numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing for, um, you know, we, 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 we touched on it, drivetrain efficiency. Okay. We, we used a different drivetrain efficiency number than you were using. So, you know, you're, you're putting, you know, power is being measure, measured at the pedals. So let's say Glenn was putting down 200 watts. But, you know, depending on how well maintained his his drivetrain is, he might have only been getting, I don't know, 190 watts at the wheel. OK, and 10 watts were being let, let's say, you know, Glenn, Glenn's pretty good at, at, at Adam, Adam Kieran would be would be mad at you for that number. <laughs> that would have been that's like that's that's a poorly, poorly maintained chain. We need some better lubricant. That, that's I'm, jo- like- I'm joking. I'm, I'm just being a jerk about it. Our, our, our estimate was 2%. So that's the default for for Aerotune. And, you know, from my understanding is uh, if you do have a re- reasonably high grade components and your chain is in good shape like it's not worn and it's well lubricated and it's not you know there's not dirty there's not crap in it then then two percent is optimistic i i I think it's optimistic but i do think that it's 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 very possible on a on a well-maintained drivetrain uh one thing that i would be really interested in seeing at some point not necessarily from you this is just kind of an open call to action i guess for everyone who is developing these devices but looking at the uncertainty analysis and the error propagation through the different measurement techniques so um, this is something that I can thank uh, one of our f- previous guests and business partner and friend of mine, Sean Peterson, for. But uh, he taught uh, an experimental methods class that I took in uh, one of my many years in university. But um, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting when you start to dig down into the equations and look at um, the impact of measuring different variables with different levels of accuracy. So if you have a certain amount of error on your density versus a certain amount of error on your velocity, because of how the equations come together, they can have significantly different impacts overall on the final answer. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, as you mentioned, Mark, if, if density cancels out or if you're measuring it in a method that essentially invalidates or, or just gets or bypasses some of the assumptions otherwise, then you can actually have no impact from experimental error. So it'd be... I think it'd be very useful for a lot of people for maybe a collaboration across different companies and different providers to do a bit of a white paper to explore the different variables and and how this impacts your final accuracy of what you're measuring. 
And for us testers, that would be tremendously useful because then you need, to, then you have a pretty good idea of like, okay, well, I have, you know, a half dozen variables that I need to control. Where do I really need to be careful? You know, like we, we talked about, and I think Mark, this was your your um, your point uh, last time you were on the show that elevation is critical, and for obvious reasons, because it has a very large impact on on power required to move a certain velocity, uh, and and getting it right is really important. But then on other things that if that to Andrew's point, if they're less relevant. And then as a tester, you can accept the error because it's, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't affect your end result error uh, very much. So that's interesting because, you know, one of the things that we see um, that we're seeing because of the fact that we're measuring everything, uh, we can see sometimes these errors, uh, you know, we'll do, we'll do a five kilometer rolling hills test. And we'll actually see where some of the errors are being injected because, you know, for example, when we're going up hills, you know, when we see our CDA decreasing as we're going up hills or we see CDA increasing as we're going down hills, you know, we, we, know, we know that there's, there's something wrong. You know, we, we can figure out where the errors are coming from mm. because, you know, gravity is gravity. So, you know, you know <laughs> we, can fi- we can see... And, 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 you know, this is one coming back to our drivetrain efficiency. I know Glenn's dr- power meter does read uh, slightly high. Okay. okay? Um, and that's why I was, and, and the reason I see this is because, you know, I've seen him before going over hills and said, so, no, that just doesn't work. You know, um, you know, that, that when you're, when you're going up a big hill, um, you know, the, the, the air drag is actually very low. It's mostly gravity. It's getting you over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the power meter is, is, is reading too high or too low. You can actually see that on some types of terrain, which you're not going to see on a, on a flat terrain. Sure. Now, could that actually be the impact of cross chaining or changing like variable drivetrain efficiency where you've got your chain stretched out over, a, a non-straight path, for example, where something that we assume is positive, like rolling, or sorry, assume is constant, like rolling resistance becomes a variable factor in this. Yes. I've got to bring Adam back for that one. So that, that's actually an interesting one, because w- one thing that we do is we actually, uh, we, we record all your DI2 um, or, or ETAP shifts, um, you know, and we have done analysis of, you know, if you are completely cross-chain, do we see do, do we see loss of efficiency in the system? You know, let, let's assume that you're, you're you're riding along and your CDA is constant and everything is constant, but we see things changing. You know, can we explain it by you know you know cross-chaining those types of things? So we do actually record all that data. Hmm. You know, and, and, um, you know, we'll come, we can come back to this later in terms of the analysis, you know, Michael, you know, we, we were looking at the different ways of analyzing the data. Um, and, and, you know, you, you were, you had a number, you had a 0.27 or 0.25 or whatever. Yep. And I I had a, you know, let's say a 0.25, but I also had, you know, uh, kind of like a, a continuous CDA number where you could see CDA varying over time. And, and when there was a variation in it, try to explain why. And then you could overlay, for example, was there vibration on the road? Did I hit a pothole? Or was there a gust of wind? Or did a car go by, you know, which, which I would see as some type of a gust of wind? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, did I shift gears? You know, you, you can you can overlay all those signals to try to explain why there was a variation of, of CDA. That was one of the really impressive uh, elements of looking at the data that you showed me on our call, Mark, of, uh, of the gizmo outputs. There are so many ways of error checking and of, uh, of really adding nuance to the data that you're seeing that, uh, and this was the point you made to me in the call, I'm just re- rehashing it, um, that the gizmo or a similar system would would give you the opportunity to understand why something doesn't make sense. So this has happened to me a few times with uh, with Aerotune, where you know we're we're getting numbers that just don't quite make sense, or all of a sudden the numbers don't make sense. 
and troubleshooting them. I mean, I've I've had many conversations with Sebastian about this, and he's he's definitely helped me understand it, uh, how to do this. Uh, but troubleshooting those errors sometimes is difficult in the absence of of all of the kind of the inputs into those into the buckets. When you don't see what those buckets contain individually, you know, teased apart, or when some of them are calculated or, or estimated rather than well, let's say calculated rather than measured, it it is a little bit of a of a trickier task, and that's something that uh, you know to the credit of you and your of, uh, to you and the gizmo mark uh you can you can definitely do a much deeper dive into yeah so to to give to give a listeners kind of an idea of what it would look like you know i um, imagine you know when you're you, you see on tv the guy's in the hospital bed and he's got the monitor next to him and you know and, and you see this little signal that's kind of like a continuous signal and it's kind of uh oscillating very slightly you know you don't want it to be flat of course but <laughs> yes. it's, it's oscillating very very slightly and and that is actually what our cda signal looks like so the first thing the first thing you do is you go in and it tells you your cda was let's say 0.26 it just gives you a number and they say okay give, show me the detail of that so it's going to show you this signal that's very slowly varying very slowly varying and for example, if you hit a pothole, whoop, you'd get a big blip. You know, if you hit an air gust, whoop, you'd get a big blip. If you sat up, it would start increasing. If you went back down into the arrow bars, it would decrease and then stabilize again. Okay. So when, and then what you can do is you can turn on other signals, wherever you see a blip, wherever there's something that isn't quite stable, you can try to figure out the why. And then if, if, you know, if you say that's an anomaly, it's a pothole, you know, you can cut out that section and just say, okay, ignore it. But the idea is you should be able to get a nice, relatively flat number, very consistent. And that's your, 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 your rolling CDA. It's a, it's a 30 or 60 second rolling CDA, your average CDA for the last 30 or 60 seconds. That, that's configurable. You can make anything from three to 60. Hmm. As you showed it to me uh, when we were looking at uh, at Glenn's data, there were definitely opportunities to to put that into use and to really get uh, a, a better understanding of um, you know of what it was that what that uh, that transpired. But I, I want to move on a little bit and talk about uh, the uh, something that you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, and that is that. Uh, there are differences in ideal routes for Aerotune and for uh, for the Gizmo. And uh, listeners, we've we've spent some time talking about routes. And uh, if you if you're curious about what the optimal route uh, selection for Aerotune is, you can listen to our last conversation with Seb- uh, Sebastian Schlereke. Um, because he goes into great detail. Uh, suffice to say that it should be, it's a, it's a certain fixed length. Ideally, it's a 1,000 meters. Uh, it ought to be as flat as possible and with as few interruptions as possible or no interruptions over the 1,000 meters. Um, but uh, the the gizmo allows for quite a bit more flexibility on route selection. Uh, so, uh, Mark, why don't you talk about a little bit about that, please? You know, in, in, a, in a theoretical world, you can just ride it anywhere, and, and you should be able to get relatively good data. And if, you, if, you're, if there are sections where you're getting bad data, you should be able to tell where they are. But you know, that, that's, that's theoretically. Mm-hmm. I can tell you maybe how I like to ride with it and, and that how that applies to, uh, to, you know, to, to practice. Sure. Um, I usually, I typically, you know, I, I usually take the same routes just because mostly for safety and convenience. Um, most of my routes are rolling hills. We, we have no flat where I am or very, very, very little flat. Everything is rolling hills. We have very, very little terrain where, you know, th- there's constant trees or constant open fields. It's always, you know, a mixture of the two. Um, so, you know, I, I've given up on trying to, to pick my routes for aero testing and, you know, I just, I just, you know, I just rely on on the gizmo to be able to to figure things out. What I typically do, I, I like to use four to five kilometers, as short as two and a half, but five kilometers. And for a couple of reasons, one, I like to mix my aero testing with my actual workouts. You know, mm. I rarely do a workout without aero testing, and I rarely do an aero test without a workout. You know, so so I'll give you an example. Yeah. Yesterday I did four times, five kilometers out, five kilometers back. And the first one was just a, a, a warm up. The second one was, you know, 
Z2-ish um, uh, pace. Uh, then, then I did some tempo on the third one, and I did some threshold on the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, um, I so the warm up I was wearing a regular suit. Uh, then I did then the second one I, w- I kept that same regular suit, but I was trying to hold the position much tighter. On the third one, I put on a skin suit, and then on the fourth one, I started playing with head position. So I did one kilometer, it, it, you know, it was a f- four or five kilometer out and back. I do one kilometer normal, one kilometer turtling my head, one kilometer shrugging my shoulders, and then back to normal. Mm, okay. And, and uh, you know, so I did that for the out and for the back, and that was at threshold. And then I just take all that data and I look at it afterwards. And, and what I was able to see is the difference between my warm up and my first you know, I don't know about you, but my typically my first run of the day is always slower than the other ones. Yeah, I find that with 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 me, but also with with people that I've tested that the first the first couple of uh, first couple of passes while people are getting settled in, they are they're not the highest quality data. Uh, I don't know if you know other other aero testers have seen this, but it takes a little bit of uh, of getting. It's almost like a comfortable with your position and, and warming up into the position. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's very consistent. And for me, I, I attribute it to two things. One is the tire warming up for that first time hmm. is, is part of it. But it's also the body, you know, you're, you're much stiffer, you know, and you can see it. I, I have I have more trouble generating the power on that first. You know, I, I feel stiff and I have trouble generating powder. And, you know, even if I wasn't looking at my power meter, I, you know, I, I'm always 30, 40 watts on the same effort on, on mm-hmm. the warm up. So so that's that's part of it. But then, then I, I was able to see even on that last interval when I was keeping my head normal, when I was shrugging it, when I was turtling it and going back to normal, I could see, you know, the CDA uh, signal uh, going up and down. Uh, and I was able to correlate it to the head position, you know, because as we talked about, you know, we do put we do have an IMU in the helmet mm-hmm. and we were able to, you know, it was, it was a nice, clear Thing. So, so I did both things. I did both my aero testing to see, you know, the, the, the changes in CDA, uh, changes in position, but I did somewhat of a workout at the same time. And this is something that I really want, I really want to highlight for the listeners. And this is, uh, you know, I always, I always try to think of stuff, um, you know, any, anything we talk about on the show is, is how use, how accurate it is and how useful it is. Right. And so one of the, you know, one of the challenges with aero testing, like in the, in the context that I do it, uh, where it's a dedicated session and we tightly control A, B, and C and your power and your speed and your the location. And you can't really do a workout while doing this. I mean, you're, it is quality work. Usually we're riding right around race pace. So it could be, you know, a specificity kind of workout, but there's also a lot of turning around and a lot of dead time. So it's not, it's, it's a workout, but it's not really a very structured workout. And so the potential to be able to aero test while doing a workout and then analyzing the data post hoc uh, is tremendously useful because then you can have rather than dedicating you know your morning or your afternoon or a good chunk of your day to aero testing you can go and do your thing, do your workout, and then after the fact, analyze the uh, the arrow data that you've collected, and that is tremendously useful if you were gonna if you were going to um, if you're gonna do this with any kind of regularity, which is vital because even if you have some, even if you have all the you know all of the variables controlled and you have uh, you know a perfect day and everything goes well, you know depending on how much energy your test subject has, you may only be able to test, I don't know, uh, a half dozen, six or seven or eight positions or equipment orientations, um, configurations rather, but you, maybe you want to test 20, right? There's so many things you can change from a position and an equipment perspective that you may want to do more than that. So uh, a lot of people end up coming back and testing more. So with Taylor Reed, for example, we had we did three sessions where we tested a whole bunch of things, but uh, they were three dedicated aero testing sessions. Whereas if you can pull it off in such a way that you can, you know, incorporate that into your workouts, you can do, you know, you can almost test every single time you ride, which is something that's, that's super interesting for me. And going back to our conversation with Kurt Bergen Taylor, I know when he's working with Cycling Canada, um, that was a big impact. They, they had to sacrifice quality workouts for the sake of aero testing Mm -hmm. and both are very important, but if you can get both of those rolled into one, that's a huge bonus. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so you can, but and you can go back and forth. So, for example, when when you want to do very coarse testing, you know, you can just be doing it during your warm up. You want to try two different helmets, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, so you do half your workout with one, you do half your workout with the other, and you compare them. And then and then if you want to if you want to refine things, like if 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 you want to start measuring things that are going to be very 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 small and different, well then then you can start tightening up your protocols, you know. Uh, where, where, you know, you can make sure that, you, you know, if there is a bit of error that's being injected, for example, in altitude or other, that you'll be able to see it through a tighter protocol. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then, you know, you, 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 you tighten up the protocols. The other thing that's, that's quite surprising is, you know, I see, and I see this people that go in the velodrome and they get tested in the velodrome and they're almost holding a perfect position for those six, seven, eight laps that they're doing in the velodrome. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it, I don't know, uh, let's, let's say high Z2, low Z3. Uh, so they're able to hold that position. But guess what? Put them out on the road, make them ride at threshold, which if they're doing, for example, a TT is what they're going to be riding at. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not in that position anymore. You know, we, we all know a pretty famous Canadian uh, triathlete. <laughs> You know, his his cycling dynamics uh, are, are quite different on a very smooth velodrome and, and when he's fighting the bike out on the road, you know, and, and there's a lot of people like that. There's, there's you know, and, and, true. and head goes in all kinds of positions. And, you know, so so sometimes it's it's nice to be able to test it in. I don't want to call it real world, but more, you know, less controlled um, um, uh, conditions. And but you can always you know, then when, when you want to get uber precision, you can start tightening up your protocol in order to, uh, you know, to be able to either identify, you know, errors or uh, inaccuracies. Um, but, you know, um, the, the idea that you can just go out and ride and get good numbers, you know, to me is something extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. One other thing I want to talk about, uh, and I think we did, we definitely covered it the first time you were on, but uh, I think it's worth rehashing, Mark, uh, is the way that uh, the gizmo uses IMUs to get more accurate data. Now, you talked about having the IMU on the helmet, which is really useful because we, and this is something we've talked about on the show, the head position is so very important to not everybody, but most people will have, for me, I'm very sensitive to head position. In the testing I've done myself, um, I've seen very large differences in my CDA based on my head position with the same helmet. Um, so for me, this would be something that, that would be tremendously useful. So having the IMU and an IMU listeners, for those of you who, who may not be familiar with the terminology, is, uh, is just um, it's, a, it's an accelerometer and a gyro kind of baked into one and it basically measures your position in space if you have a foot pod uh or the stride power meter kind of foot pod that's an imu uh the leomo system we had the leomo guys on about a year ago their systems are you know their sensors are all imus your garmin or whatever wearable you have on your wrist has imus that does a, that 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 do a bunch of things so in uh, in Mark's system, there's one that uh, he can put on your helmet, and then there's another one that he puts somewhere on the bike that uh, we were we we saw on Glenn's bike. And uh, talk talk to us a little bit about what that one's for and why that one's so important. So you know, in in the first episode, we talked about how important you know the measurement of altitude is, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have a tight protocol that's going to control you know your delta altitude. So altitude is extremely extremely important. Um, we talked about one way to measure altitude was with a barometer, and and a barometer is is a good device for measuring altitude, but there's a fair amount of error that goes, in, you know, in 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 short term. Over a short period of time, you get quite a bit of error when you're measuring with a barometer only. Mm-hmm. So, what what one way to solve the barometer problems is to use an accelerometer or an IMU in order to also calculate an elevation change. And you can use one device to calibrate the other. Hmm. So you can use the IMU. You can use the barometer that's that's measuring somewhat accurately over a long period of time to calibrate the IMU. Because the IMU might have been installed with with a slight 
inclination. Let's, let's say let's say the IMU is in the is inside the gizmo, and there is one inside the gizmo. You know, it might not be perfectly flat. It might not be perfectly horizontal. It might be, I don't know, a degree or two off. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to calibrate that. And, you know, for example, the calibration of the IMU with the barometer actually works quite well. Okay. Uh, the problem is if you have an IMU inside the gizmo, it's a little more subject to road vibration and those types of things. So if you can put an IMU elsewhere on the frame, um, then you start getting, you know, another signal that has its strength and weaknesses that you can use to calibrate the other ones. So, and then, and then finally, you know, if you put an IMU in the helmets, that's detecting, you know, the guy tilting up and down or left and right, or turning his head like I do, um, that's great, but you have to be able to differentiate the movement of the head from the movement of the bike. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you see that accelerometer starting to tilt up. How can you tell if it's the guy that actually tilted his head or is it because the road started tilting up? Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you're running on flat, of course, it's not an issue. So, so, you know, the, the sum of these different sensors, uh, when you put them all together, you can really figure out what is going on, you know? So what we do is we try to get a very, accurate measurement of the inclination of the bike and then we're able to get a very accurate inclination um, turning of the head based on that we know that the 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 reference i.e the bike uh is is being properly measured so i can think of did that make sense absolutely i can think of one person who is going to be so happy to hear this kind of measurement going on uh, and this is Ken Fife, who's a, a good friend of mine. But he, for years, has been telling me about how much he hates the uh, the typically over-smoothed head unit altitude that you get, um, where you go over the top of a hill and it's still showing 8% grade because <laughs> it's averaged so heavily. Um, so he will be, just for his own reference, he will be super happy to hear this. But it's it's neat um, to know that it can be used as an additional signal to to essentially reduce that noise in the measurement that you're getting and to validate or cross-check some of the other signals that you're getting. Yes, because you know and, and even look at your barometer, you know, do do this nice long, I don't know, 8K loop over and over and over and and look at it in Garmin Connect and it'll look like your elevation is actually increasing. You know, you, you just see it going up. And that's just because of 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 it's drifting, and that's just atmospheric um, pressure drift, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, you have to compensate for that. Then again, but IMUs, they have other problems. Hit potholes, you know. Um, they, 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 they go wonky for a, for, a, for a fraction of a second. Do like Glenn, and he kept on knocking it off the bike, <laughs> um, you know, or, yeah. or, remember, or at one point, and, and you see it in the signals, he hadn't installed the gizmo horizontally, you know, Glenn, your, your gizmo is pointing up, you know, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, that's a cold open. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, the, the, beauty, the beauty of having all these signals is that behind the scenes, you can correct for, you can detect and correct for, for improper signals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's overwhelming when you see the sum of the signals, you know, like as I showed you the other day, Michael. Yeah, but my, that, my that's brain was, that was we're hurting going... for 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 like an hour after that demonstration. There were there were a lot of plots on that uh, on that screen that you showed me, Mark. Yeah, but you know, so so what it's going to be at the end? It's going to be a number, okay? Mm-hmm. And and if you want to drill into that number, you say, okay, here is the number, and see here is how it varied for sixty seconds, and they say, oh, okay, what what happened here? And then drill down and drill down and drill down. And, and some people will want to drill all the way to the bottom of the data mm-hmm. and have the ability to understand the data. Some people are never going to go that low. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they just want to see the number. Uh, you know, the other thing is when we see the number that is very stable, we can, we can say, okay, here's the number and here's a confidence score. Yeah. You know, here's a confidence score of 10. This number was extremely, you know, it was extremely reliable. It was, it, it correlated between the two IMUs, the barometer, everything made sense. It, it, this is a perfect number or now nah, you might not want to trust this number. Um, you might, you might want to look elsewhere. Um, so once you have all the underlying data, it's much easier to take good underlying data and and simplify it than than just having a number that you can't explain mm-hmm. and uh, you know and, and you know it's wrong but you you can't tell why. And I think that's a key to the success of this part of the industry because I mean 
let's face it, most people out there aren't engineers, don't want to be engineers. And I totally understand that mindset, <laughs> but uh, they they don't necessarily want the data. They want the the final answer. So if they can have a simplified experience where now they're having a lot of these decisions or a lot of these challenges um, taken care of for them, then it's going to be a much better experience. And I think that's what's been lacking with a lot of these aero sensors in the past is the ability to drill down and get actionable data. So you're you're delivering that on a platter hopefully. Yeah. And and we also have to remember, you know, our goal, our goal in the short term was not is not to create, you know, a, a commercial product that, you know, we're going to sell in boxes, uh, you know, to to any Joe. Our our goal was to develop testing technology, you know, to work with teams, to work with aero coaches. And over time this is going to be easier and easier and easier to use. Uh, you know, we, we have no we have no uh, intention in the short term of, of just, you know, selling this off a website and anybody that wants to buy it can mm-hmm. um, that that's not our short term plan. Yeah, that was going to be my question is like, you know, it's, it's the same question I asked when uh, when Nick and Phil were here talking about their their wheels and like, well, we're, you know, when when and where can I buy one? Right. And so you, you answered that question. And that's similar to some of the. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a divergence. It seems like in the market where where folks like uh, Aerolab, um, they're they're going to they're going that way where they're they're selling to fitters and teams, and then there are folks like Nocio who are selling direct to consumer, um, and they're trying to reach the the end user market. And then Aerotune, of course, is sensorless and it's you know much less expensive as a result, and they're they're trying to reach everybody too. So it's uh, it's interesting to see. I, I'm wondering if we're going to see a convergence, uh, you know, in a few years, or if it's going to be, you know, if there's going to be one set of products that's tailored to one demographic and another set that's tailored to to the other. Um, I, I think there. I believe there's going to be convergence. Hmm. Um, okay. I believe that, you know, we're we're mostly working with, you know, athletes and testers such as yourself. Um, I think that as the numbers become, you know, more and more accurate and the analysis becomes easier and easier, you're going to see more and more people being able to adopt it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this in in its current state, it's not for just anybody, you know, um, so, but but I, I do believe you'll see it get easier and easier, uh, cheaper and cheaper. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I, I I believe you know there there's some systems on the market today uh, that I just don't understand the pricing of it. It's just way too expensive. Um, I, you know, I, I think I think the prices are going to have to to drop significantly, uh, and I think they can drop significantly. Um, and, and that, that's definitely going to occur over time. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't talk about it a lot, but you know, I, I was, I was really impressed by the AeroTune product. I was, I was, um, I was impressed in several ways. Um, the thing, the one thing that I really liked about it, and especially we're talking about the consumer market is, is how it guides you through the process. That, that I really mm-hmm. liked, you know, it, 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 it guided you through, um, you know, entering all the parameters required to do an aero test. You know, it, 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 it helps you document the test. It, um, it gave you feedback as you were going along. So, you know, it would say, okay, uh, let's start your test and I'll get up to speed. Oh, we're about to start. Okay. We started. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we, we finished the first kilometer, turn around. Okay, start up again, you know, and at the end it gave you a number. So you knew you knew that, okay, this makes somewhat sense. It gave you feedback during the whole session. I, I found that really, you know, really, really well done. Um, you know, unlike, you know, an, another product that, that, that doesn't use sensors, for example, the, the Golden Cheeto AeroLab, you know that one. That one, you you can do some amazing things. But when you're out in the field and you and you don't have experience and you make mistakes, you get back home and you find out that the data you collected was useless and you wasted four hours and you got to go and do it again. You know. Um, so so the, the the Golden Cheetah Aero Lab is a great way of doing aero testing, but it it requires more experience. Whereas the AeroTunes product kind of uh, held your hand through the process. So so I found that you know really good. 
it's great for 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 fitters and for aero testers too because you know when you're working with a new client right uh, it you can't you're not there holding their hand throughout the process and having all of the you know all of this guidance from from the the platform and the app uh really ensures that you're getting a better better quality result you know the, there are fewer things that the, that the individual can do wrong or can you know suboptimally let's say and that really that really helps because at the end of the day that means you you collect better data and the and the feedback after each pass is also really helpful because it is um you know then you can see you can make almost instantaneous decisions of of whether or not this is worth pursuing or you know you may not you may not be able to on the spot or even uh post hoc drill down and see where the source of the error was but you can usually you can see that there is a source of error that there's a large source of error because aerotune report Reports, you know their calculation for error percentage, um, and uh, and it, it does it live essentially at the end of each pass. So that's that is really helpful. I agree. And I also think it's a bit of a case of uh, courses for horses or horses for courses. Totally. Whatever the whatever the <laughs> saying actually is, but. Um, if, we gotta we gotta work on our on our uh, on our colloquialisms, oh, Andrew. We're 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 kind of we're not doing so well in that department. It's the cat calling the kettle black. <laughs> That's the one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I think in some cases, though, it's extremely useful to uh, to have just the relative change. So if you're testing out a different tri suit, for example, like that, that can be the information that you're after. But if you're trying to optimize your ride split and your your power profile using a tool like Best Bike Split, then you need the absolute measurement. So that may uh, necessitate the use of a tool like the gizmo. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's really, I think, before someone embarks on this journey of aero testing, which I think can be a bit of a journey sometimes, they need to identify what their actual goals are. Are they just trying to optimize their own position or are they trying to get the absolute numbers and that's, or even get a full yaw sweep? Because um, that that information is is very critical in terms of how you approach it. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before. That absolute numbers depend on conditions, right? And so, you know, if you're going to do the thing with Best Bike Split, and uh, you know, Aerotune has a similar similar platform, and I think there's a lot of utility there. But I think there's it's it's very easy to become overly confident in the in the data provided by those kind of platforms because they they t- they they take a, they make a lot of assumptions, mm-hmm. and this is I we're getting off topic here a little bit like but if you're going to model aerodynamic performance having even if you have a hyper accurate cda um it's you, you know conditions on race day are, are are at best case they're they're estimates you know those platforms pull historical data and even if you're doing the modeling the day before and you have some reasonable forecast um depending on where you're racing and depending on on how good the forecasts are and it's just it there are a lot of um it's it's important it's it's the the error bars produced in that process i think are so large that you're you know the having a super hyper accurate cda as input into it is less important and it kind of ties into my earlier point on error propagation so if you're looking totally. at the final result the the sensitivity of the different variables or the sensitivity of the results to the different variables is critical so if if your cda is only a small factor compared to the weather for example then you're you're spending all of your effort refining one variable that has a one percent impact on your final result, where the things you can't control and can't easily measure might have a five or ten percent impact. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's diminishing returns at that point. What what we found, um, you know, and I, I don't think it's a secret. Um, you know, I, I did a, quite a bit of work with one of the uh, pro tour teams, the world tour teams, I, I should say, uh, Team Astana, and. You know, we used to used to talk CDA to 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 the higher level directors, and they used to roll their eyes and they're kind of going, "Okay, what is he talking about?" And they couldn't relate. The, the the what we would always give them was the number of seconds saved on the Giro TT final stage. So you know, <laughs> you'd give them the number, okay, point two one, and they just roll their eyes, and you go, okay, six seconds on that final stage of the Giro. So um, we actually developed a, a, we'll call it a best a best bike split type uh, model uh, that would take specific Grand Tour um, um, uh, races or or, or um, what do you call it? Um, anyways, um, stages. days or uh, etapes, stages. Sorry. 
and it would actually model and be able to tell you how many seconds on that specific course, either a change in CDR or a change in mass or a change in, in uh, CDA mm -hmm. would, uh, would, would cause. Very cool. So, Mark, this has been uh, another very deep dive. I think, you know, I, I would I always I have no idea what our listening audience is like, but I know that there are definitely a few who are who are big time nerds uh, in this in this space. So I think for those people, this has been a really interesting conversation. Hopefully we didn't lose, you know, too many of our of our less, uh, you know, less in depth, aerodynamically in depth listeners. Uh, but uh, certainly for me, this has been a ton of fun and, and also professionally very relevant since you know, aero testing is, is becoming uh, a bigger part of what we do. Um, and I'm really, uh, you know, I know that you'll keep me up to date with, uh, with what's going on with the gizmo. And I'm very keen to, to get my own hands on, on a device when you're ready with it, because, uh, I definitely think that it's a, it's a good, uh, it's an excellent uh, kind of, uh, arrow in the quiver of a, of an arrow tester. Was that a pun? Was it? No. Oh, it should. Oh, totally <laughs> unintentional pun. Yep. <laughs> Do they plow the roads in your your cow fields uh, in the in the middle of winter? We can do, uh... <laughs> in my in the in the cow fields of Toronto. Um, so yeah. there, I actually so Toronto does a good job, like Toronto proper, where we were in Caledon. Uh, I imagine they do. You might. It, it, I don't know that you'd want to take like a a nice low rolling resist no low uh drivetrain drag low drivetrain drag bike out into the salt marshes of uh of the southern ontario winter um because it won't be very low drivetrain drag for very long um so you know we, we and then you'd also have to be wearing a parka doing this aero test so that might be interesting too. hey maybe we'll find out the parkas are actually more aerodynamic than skin suits wouldn't that be something we could do some parka fat bike aero testing <laughs> we could the the joke the joke is that uh the first time i ever tried aero tune I, I i told this anecdote a bunch of times on the show so i'm not gonna bother but it was a terrible result and so the the guys uh bjorn and sebastian who were who, who, who we were just talking to the guys at, at aero tune they were making fun of me that i was wearing a parka doing this test because then my number my cda was so high they're like what is he doing is he wearing a parka and so that's so we'll we'll give him some actual parka numbers if we want to test in the winter <laughs> No one takes Canadians seriously. <laughs> Our plan for the winter is, you know, we collected we collected gobs and gobs and gobs of data this summer, and we're going to we're going to just refine the mathematical models um, to get better and better uh, results, and we're also going to, you know, greatly simplify the usability of the product. Um, that's a great winter project. And then, you know, and then in the spring, uh, you know, we'll work with with folks such as yourself to uh, to continue refining, you know, the use of it, the accuracy of the numbers, confidence in the numbers uh, and, 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 you know, show the ease of use that we might have uh, improved over the winter. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to it because I do think, you know, you and I, Mark, have talked about this offline and I do believe that there is uh, a good market for for the service of aero testing right uh, until until the the devices and the maybe the the kind of the end user knowledge gets to a level where anyone can just buy one of these things and slap it on their bike and go ride and get meaningful data until such a time there's going to be um room for services like what what we provide and what you know lots of other folks and especially in europe provide um and uh yeah i'm really i'm really excited to be kind of growing in that space and uh, and working with folks like yourself and uh, getting more accurate, you know, more accurate tools to do what it, what it is that we're doing. Actually, it's interesting because speaking of Canadian winters, you know, so I did that test yesterday and I, I talked to you about the turtling and the shrugging and that kind of stuff. And I, and I had the numbers and I sent them to Glenn and I said, Glenn, we didn't do this test the other day when we went to Toronto. We were supposed to. Um, and he's actually coming up to where I am right now tomorrow to do some testing. And the reason is, we want to test, you know, three, four head positions. Mm -hmm. And the reason we want to do that is once we find the optimal one, we want him to work on that during the winter. Yes. And one thing that we can do, for example, is we can, we can replicate head position on the trainer. We can, you know, I'm going to be able to measure Glenn tomorrow. I'm going to be able to get a number. And then I'm going to be able to put him on a trainer. And I'm going to say, you're going to have to learn how to hold this head position. 
And, you know, and, and, and it's not obvious, like the, the turtling, like, no. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to turtle your head for, for more than three kilometers. It's hard, you know, and, and yep. it requires that you start playing with your, your pad position, et cetera, in order to make your, your neck more comfortable. I have some thoughts on that, Mark. We can, we can talk about it offline about how to do that. We kind of came from Sebastian, but yeah, I, I agree. What I'm excited about is when your IMUs actually give a shock when you leave your preferred position. <laughs> yeah. you remember there was like a laser helmet that whistled, right? When you, when you moved it in a stupid way, but this is, this is more direct. I like this solution better. So the IMUs, so actually, actually one thing that's changed or that we, we recently finished the implementation of is we're actually giving more, we're putting more data on the Garmin. So you can actually see your, your head position, a, a measure of your head position on the Garmin today. So you can see that whether you're, you're moving it around or not. Cool. Um, you know, and the other thing that we're doing, we have a project going on with a graduate student where we're doing, um, when you're on the trainer, you know, we're, we're, we're actually filming and doing a lot of image analysis of, of how you're moving around on the trainer and the head position on the trainer. And, and that looks like it's, it might have some interesting applications as well. Well, when you're ready to talk about it, we, we want to, we want to learn about it for sure. Yeah. We'll show you, we'll show you some results in a very near term. It sounds like this is a good segue to a third, a third episode that uh, <laughs> a third episode this. with Mark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, uh, thank you, thank you for well, first of all, thank you for driving to uh, to the cornfields or snowfields of, <laughs> of uh, Toronto uh, last week or two weeks ago, whatever that was, and then uh, for for sharing all the data with us and for you know for for giving me that uh, you know the, the confidence at least in the deltas that I'm seeing from from Aerotune and giving me another data point to uh, to add a little bit of context to it and then of course for this for this conversation which I uh, I hope that the at least the the arrow files in our listening audience have really enjoyed at the very least at least other people probably caught up on a bit of their sleep well <laughs> <laughs> hey now <laughs> <laughs> no I know it's it's a very niche topic <laughs> I, I suspect we I, I, once again I had a lot of people that had just rolled their eyes and go oh yeah whatever you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with that, thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in and uh, for continuing to listen. And if you uh, if you fall into the Arrow Nerd category, please hit subscribe. Uh, tell your friends, like us, uh, give us uh, a five star rating uh, and a review on iTunes, and uh, tell your friends. Thanks, everyone. I think I said tell your friends twice, but that's okay. Maybe that maybe it'll stick better yes. that way. It's extra encouragement. Yeah. It's like the uh, encouragement. the electrical shock. <laughs> yes, um, we, we actually great. we have we do have a little vibrator that we we, we actually can buzz. So yeah. it's not quite a shock, but uh, oh, that's far less yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for if you're like director well, sportif and you're on a TT and you're 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 seeing that data in real time that it's coming up, you're like, give them <laughs> give them the uh, the electricity. We'll just get a bigger battery. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right.